Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. In 1964, Lyndon Johnson first talked about his war on poverty in America. Three years later, Robert Kennedy knelt in a crumbling shack in Mississippi, watching a toddler pick rice and beans off of a dirt floor. What Robert Kennedy saw on that trip impacted him deeply and in part drove his run for the presidency a year later. While Vietnam was the seminal issue of the day, poverty and its nexus with the civil rights movement were very much on Kennedy's mind. Let's listen to Robert Kennedy in Mississippi on that day in April of 1967. What we have here, of course, is a considerable amount of hunger. Uh, we have uh, the children with distended stomachs. Uh, uh, in the uh, large cities of the country, uh, particularly in the north, uh, where there is poverty, uh, still people can live on welfare so that the children don't suffer. Here, uh, children as well as grown-ups are suffering. And, uh, and as well as the housing being, of course, completely inadequate and uh, without any schooling because of uh, uh, the fact that the children have uh, insufficient clothing. So, uh, as I say, I think it's a uh, terrible reflection on our society. I think that one of the great problems is for most of us as American citizens, we don't run across it. Uh, we don't, uh, for a citizen living under reasonably good conditions in our big cities, uh, we don't pass through Bedford-Stuyvesant, we don't pass through Harlem. For a citizen living here in the state of Mississippi, you don't ordinarily run up against, uh, if you're doing reasonably well, you don't run up against this kind of poverty. And certainly people in the elsewhere in the country uh, have very little personal knowledge or information about it. You but it exists, and, and it seems to me uh, that we should do something about it. Uh, it's long overdue, and I don't think an inadequate poverty program or a poverty program that's on the books and sounds good, but is inadequately funded, uh, it might solve our conscience, and we might say that we are doing what we should, but the fact is that we're not doing what we should be doing in this country to deal with this problem. Here to help us have a greater understanding of all of this, I am joined by Ellen Meacham. She's been a journalist for more than 20 years, and her work has appeared in the New York Times and many other publications. Currently, she teaches journalism at the University of Mississippi, and it is my pleasure to welcome Ellen Meacham here to talk about Delta Epiphany, Robert F. Kennedy in Mississippi. Ellen, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Great to have you here. I want to put this in context and talk a little bit about the whole issue of poverty and the way it was creeping into the national conversation in 1967 and, and the way it, it grew out of, in many ways, the sort of lack of energy that the civil rights movement had by 1967. Right. Well, it was kind of a pivotal time for a lot of things. That's one thing I thought that made this this moment in time so interesting because it was there, there was just so much going on at the time. And so, the, as you so well um, did, such a great job of sort of um, setting this up. So, uh, when Kennedy came in '67 to Mississippi, he was. Um, on a committee, on a Senate committee, looking at the war on poverty, and there were some programs that were up for re reevaluation or re renewal, and the Senate was looking at it. Um, the Civil Rights Movement had, had some some tremendous successes, in the sense that um, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, had opened up. Um, and 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 destroyed the last some not the last remnants but destroyed some of the legal obstacles that were um, in place against uh, African Americans exercising their rights as citizens and living fully as citizens in um, 
in the United States and especially the South and Mississippi. So um, King and Kennedy, both that spring, Martin Luther King, Dr. King and Kennedy, both were talking about Vietnam and um, the toll that it was taking. They're looking at it from different perspectives, but um, Martin Luther King had given a speech right before Kennedy came to Mississippi about um, America and how it was draining, you know, draining the resources that its citizens needed to fight this war. And, and, the, and the, the burden of fighting the war was fall, falling in disproportionate amount of um, on uh, poor people and African-Americans. So he was starting to sort of frame it that way, but they were starting to pivot to, towards economic justice. And he was definitely starting to talk more about that. And he had this quote about, you know, um, it's great. And I'm par- badly paraphrasing, but it's great if you can sit at a lunch counter, lunch counters are integrated now, but if you don't have money to buy a meal, then you're still shut out of that kind of participation. And so, so that was kind of there was a lot of that going on. Um, Stokely Carmichael, who had just taken over as head of um, SNCC and um, one of the main civil rights groups, and he was taking that group in a, a different direction. So there was a lot of question about what was next for the civil rights movement and, and what, um, where they might go, and what. Uh, what they might tackle and how much cooperation they might have from the folks in power. One of the things that was so interesting about this as well is the way in which poverty was becoming a political issue, even to the point where where the two senators from Mississippi at the time, Eastland and Stennis, were in denial, or at least said they denied, that there was any kind of poverty there at all. Right, right. They, they, um, I think that they especially were offended at the idea of people starving. The the word starving was just very inflammatory to them. Um, but it's certainly just quibbling because the condition of the children was very close to starving. If that's not your definition of starving, then, um, they, they were, um, uh, in, terribly uh, de- deprived situations. Uh, yes, you know, that was one of the things that really surprised me as I was looking at it is the folks that were leading and even Jamie Witten, who represented at that time a big part of the Delta, they were in such denial about, at least publicly, about the conditions that their um, constituents were living in. And so they... Um, you know, it was hard to kind of get into that and, and see, I think part of it is just the old defensive, um, don't come down here and tell me what's wrong in my backyard kind of idea. But I th- And so I think some of that played into it. I think also that they had become so conditioned to seeing it that they didn't even see it. Um, and they also didn't consider uh, African-Americans um, as definitely full participants in the American experience as full citizens. And, you know, it's hard to say for sure, you know, whether they saw them fully as human, but they certainly didn't see them as a group full as, as, um, as equal in any way and, and deserving of equal opportunities and the equal benefits of government. 
Talk about those that were along with Robert Kennedy on this trip. As you say, it was a Senate committee that had gone down there, and it was, was quite the entourage. It sure was. And that was one of the things that uh, also that uh, kind of surprised me as I uh, began working on the book is because I, um, you know, we're used to seeing people with some celebrity or uh, who could command the media to, to show up and they do sort of, we're used to seeing them doing, which is a good thing, doing these kind of poverty tours where they draw attention to a problem, they go down there and the people who follow them with the press also cover, you know, the poor children or whatever is happening. But that's not, and I thought, I kind of just thought that was when I first started looking at it, that's kind of what was happening. But Peter Edelman, one of Kennedy's key aides, when I called him to interview, he just really bristled. it. He said it wasn't a poverty tour and he was right. It was a fact finding mission. And that's exactly, um, Daniel Shore, who was a longtime NPR uh, commentator, but before that a CBS newsman, and he was on the um, follow. He he really pressed the um, folks at C- his his bosses at CBS to to go down there with Kennedy, um, and was the main television uh, national newsman on the trip. He in his report he described Kennedy's manner as an inspector general. You know, which is a very different kind of demeanor than someone who is uh, down there just to sort of use the media. Uh, and he, uh, Senator Joseph Clark from Pennsylvania was the chairman of that subcommittee. It was the Senate um, Subcommittee on Employment, Manpower, and Poverty. And um, Jacob Javits, who was a liberal um, Republican from New York City, also re- also represented the state of New York as Kennedy did, and George Murphy, who was from California and was uh, uh, sort of along the same veins as Ronald Reagan, had kind of come up through the through the ranks at the same time. He'd been in the movies <laughs> uh, before he became a senator, and uh, the um, other one was let's see Javits, Kennedy's Clark, and uh, Murphy. That's those are the ones that the four that went to Mississippi, um, and. Only Joseph Clark and Kennedy flew over to the Delta after they had a pretty dramatic hearing in Jackson. Um, uh, news people followed. They had about 10 cars that, that were driving around, and they landed. They went in Greenville. They saw some job training programs, and then they drove up to the Delta. How did Kennedy see this poverty differently than the poverty that he had seen and talked about in places like Bedford-Stuyvesant in New York? Um, I th- well, you, you kind of heard that on that clip. It was a great, um, I thought, a great example of, you know, he said it best. Um, but he he knew that there was, um, this was worse than anything he had seen in this country. And he told his aide and told one of the journalists that he, he had been interested in poverty. It wasn't like this just suddenly turned on a switch and he was interested in um, poverty. But I think this shifted it from the abstract of poverty, which if you think about it, is kind of a moving target. If we all sat down and draw, drew a picture, we would probably all come up with something different or describe poverty, what we think poverty is. And um, uh, But hunger was a concrete, universal human experience that you know, no matter how wealthy you are, there's been some point at some time in your life when you couldn't eat when you wanted to, and you know what hunger feels like. And to think about um, extrapolating that to 
uh, every day, only having a little bit going day after day when your body is growing and needing that. I think that that, um, that was one thing that it did for him. And I think he saw the faces of those children and he was connected to those children in ways that he didn't always connect to grownups. He had a really special um, even his enemy said he had a, a special connection with children. And he went to, um, I, I think he just couldn't shake the children's faces that he had seen. He just couldn't um, let that let the, them slide away and not try to do something to help them. How did he see the Johnson administration's efforts with respect to the war on poverty? Well, he... Um, <laughs> I think that overall, you know, it, it's kind of a shame because the two men had a really deep-seated um, antipathy for each other. They really just, uh, probably pretty safe to say that they hated each other. Um, Mutual Contempt, is a, there's a whole book written about it. It's a really great book um, about their relationship. And so one of the sad parts is that that was, um, that really got in their way in their ability to work together to try to solve some of these problems. And um, Johnson, I think, saw the war on poverty as a way to kind of distinguish himself uh, a little bit from Kennedy, uh, John Kennedy, and he, uh, it was his signature kind of efforts. And, you know, he delivered the Civil Rights Act after Kennedy's death. Um, but that was very much couched at the time as, you know, carrying on John Kennedy's legacy. And I think this was his um, effort at a legacy. And also he revered Roosevelt, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. So it was a way of kind of Going back to his era, and he took Robert Kennedy's trip to Mississippi as just a, a chance to make him look bad and show him up. Because some of the programs that were well-meaning were, had actually made it worse in the Delta, and that was one of the first things that Kennedy tried to do when he come, came back is to try to to loosen up some of those regulations or make a, make some changes to get food to people on the ground in kind of an emergency way and. Um, and Johnson was just not not at all interested. He tried to get them to deliver the letter somewhere else and deflect it. And and Kennedy, as as the um, city started sort of exploding in riots, and Johnson came down really sort of hard on a law and order kind of um, approach. Kennedy thought that was definitely the wrong approach and not 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 that he wasn't a law and order guy but he he didn't think there was enough attention and paid to some of the root causes of what was going on and that johnson was just dropping the ball so yeah so that was that was it was a shame that they weren't able to to move past that and work together because they might have been a lot more successful on it talk a little bit about how kennedy saw Vietnam as as part of the poverty problem and that Vietnam really sucked up all of the political energy of the day. Absolutely. And I wanted I, I'm so glad you've pointed that out because I wanted to make sure that I do I do think I, I've got um a lot of evidence in the book that this trip to Mississippi was extremely significant in how Kennedy sort of framed and saw things as he went through the last 14 or so months of his life. Um, but Vietnam was, again, like you say, that was the thing that really um, dominated the conversation, dominated the thinking, sort of provided a great deal of the impetus towards the presidency. But um, you've got to understand a couple of things that sometimes people forget. One is the power of the conservative Democratic lawmakers in 
Southern lawmakers in Washington, because they had been elected for so long by um, whites only, solid South Democratic um, primaries and elections, general elections, that um, they were longtime incumbents and risen through the ranks, had a tremendous amount of power over the purse, over judges. Judiciary Committee, Jim Eastland chaired that and, and any kind of civil rights bill. He had joked about how the civil rights, uh, he had a special pocket where he put civil rights bills when they came to the Judiciary Committee and, you know, they never saw the light of day again. But um, Stennis was on the Appropriations Committee and, uh, and chaired a subcommittee at the time, later became chair uh, for um, uh, the military. And so, uh, in order to get the funding from for Vietnam to continue what they needed, Johnson thought they needed to do there, they had to go through some of these people who were very hesitant to um, free up money for poverty programs and were hesitant, didn't want to see a lot of civil rights movement and so forth. So they had to walk a fine line. And that, I think, also affected the money just started, the war became more and more costly as they escalated things, and there was less and less money to try to address some of the um, the poverty. And so I think that was part of the, ne- the nexus. And, and again, like I said, King had as pointed out, it was um, falling, the, much of the burden of fighting Vietnam was falling on poorer people and um, poor African Americans, and then they you know, um, were losing their lives and their limbs and so forth. So, so I think that there was kind of this nexus. There was also the concern about riots in the city and because of the frustration cities that were happening that summer, the frustrations of, um, African-Americans were sort of boiling over and that, approach he didn't think Johnson's approach was good and he also thought that because of that people were responding in fear and were less likely to be sympathetic to the um to the needs of those folks the very real needs talk about king because it this came at a time when king was really trying to shift what had been the civil rights movement into much more of a social justice movement Talk about that and the way this visit kind of fit into that narrative. Right, right. Well, Kennedy, um, so King had visited the Delta in Mississippi a year, well, Mississippi a year or so before for a conference in Jackson and had heard a lot about this um, unfolding kind of catastrophe that was happening with the farm workers who were being displaced by mechanization and new herbicides and farming practices where they skip row planting and all of these kinds of things. And then um, once the farm workers minimum wage took effect in February of 67, it really accelerated mechanization to where um, you had uh, 24,000 directly affected in this 18-county area in North, northwest Mississippi, but 54,000 if you count their children and the elderly who also worked in the field some and often lost their homes. So this, these waves in about 18-month period was putting all kinds of people out of work, and there was no effort on the state's part or the federal government to address it. So King tried to raise... Um, 
some had tried to raise get some attention and raise the warning a year or so before and even had talked about it, um, universal basic income, which um, Ted Kennedy was with him at, for a time at part of that conference. And But he did not endorse at that time the um, universal basic income. But King was talking about that. He tried to write a letter to some officials and sort of warn them about this displaced farm workers and their plight um, in the Delta. And, you know, hadn't really gotten anywhere, hadn't gone through Robert Kennedy for sure, that I found, that I found anything. But... Um, gotten some coverage in the Times and a few other places. So so King was aware of the problem and had tried to, to bring a little bit of attention to it. Uh, and then Marion Wright, who was also worked closely with King and, and knew Robert uh, Martin Luther King, she went to Washington in March for the first hearing of 67 and, and went off topic. She was defending Head Start um, at that hearing, but she said, look, people in the Delta are starving. We don't know what ha- the farm workers minimum wage is not having a very good effect on what, where they are there. They can't get commodity free commodities anymore. They have to buy their food stamps and somebody needs to do something about it. And she's a very direct, she's a young woman. She's sort of the second heroine, the heroine of the book because mm-hmm. she just, um, was very direct and, and matter of fact about you, you have a responsibility to do it. So they decided the next month to come to hold a hearing across the country, but the first one would be in Mississippi. So when Ke- after Kennedy got back, and he and King didn't have a, a strong relationship at all. They and, and David Margulick has a great new book out about that, um, um, uh, the relationship between King and Kennedy. They didn't have a great relationship, but um, Kennedy tried to get some changes immediately done for so that people could get some food on the ground in Mississippi in April. Went to a couple of different conferences, asked to speak about it, committees and um, not conferences, committees there in the Senate, trying to, to bring attention to it, ask the, them to change some policies that they were considering and was getting nowhere. And he came back from one of those committee meetings and wrote a note to King that said, I've just come back from Mississippi Delta. I've been trying to talk to these committees. Uh, I see what you're talking about. And I would love to talk with you further about, or like to talk with you further I'm interested in the ideas you have. Um, and I could never find that, that King responded. There was a note that said that um, from his King's secretary that said, we received your letter, Senator Robert Kennedy's letter. Uh, Dr. King is traveling. He will be in touch when he gets back. But, you know, they may have had a phone conversation. I don't know. I never saw a whole, saw any other paper evidence that they talked about Mississippi after that. But that was a big deal for Kennedy to kind of reach across, as um, Taylor Branch says, sort of reach across their contentious relationship and reach out and kind of acknowledge, look, I see what you're talking about now. Let's, let's talk about some solutions. What was the impact of Kennedy's visit? What was the broader impact of the visit beyond the immediate news cycle, Daniel Shore's report, as you talked about before? What impact did it have over time? 
over time. Well, there were there are a couple of things. It's it's hard to draw. Like there's you can't just draw a direct line. And say he went to Mississippi and then this policy happened. But uh, what he did was change the conversation for quite a while about from poverty to hunger and hungry children. And so much of the news coverage and the popular culture of the time really showed America a post-war prosperity and kind of, you know, there were not as many kinds of news outlets as we have now, for better or for worse, and there weren't that, that many channels that you could watch. And so most of what Americans saw were was, um, hey, we, you know, we came out of the Great Depression, we won World War II, and now we're booming. And um, so, so when Kennedy went and the news cycle happened, a lot of journalists took note. And so you started to get a lot more coverage. And then he went to Eastern Kentucky with the committee and to some Native American reservations and to California where there were um, migrant workers. And then he found that there were people all over the country who were um, just about as hungry as, as the folks in Mississippi and suffering. And uh, he started to, he also went off one of the things he did in Mississippi is make unscheduled stops because he didn't just want to see what the advocates wanted to see, wanted him to see. And he started doing that a lot when he went to Kentucky and other places and, and asked sort of real people who weren't, you know, set up to tell him what, what their lives were like. But um, there was also, after he died, there was a, um, a Senate, a special, a select subcommittee, I mean, a select committee on hunger um, and poverty and that committee was quite active, and, and there was. Um, but one of the big things that happened was there had never been a national nutritional survey done. There had been surveys done here or there over the years, but so one of the big things that happened that was kind of a, 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 a pivot point was this national. They agreed, got them to agree. Kennedy uh, in in the fall got them to agree to do this. The, the um, Department of Agriculture National Nutritional Survey, where they tried to get an idea of where all how food aid and and how Americans were eating, where they were hungry, where they weren't getting enough, and it the report came back with quite quite a surprising level of hunger and malnutrition um, and lack of. Uh, nutritional um, diversity and lack of lack of availability of food, lack of money. And so that study really drove a lot of the policies as Kennedy was killed and as that committee started working, you know, even um, it went to Richard Nixon and Richard Nixon was a surprisingly um, receptive to some of the um, the reports that came in on hunger and worked uh, with uh, some of the advocates to try. He was more receptive to the ideas of food aid, and so then, then you started getting women and infants and children, which is a WIC, which is a supp- that supplements mm-hmm. pregnant mothers and nursing mother or mothers with babies and um, babies, and that was that that was really big. It took 10 years to waive the cost of food stamps so that you could get the food stamps for free, and now it's SNAP. Um, but another thing was that in 1967, counties could opt out of the school lunch, federal school lunch program, and now um, I, I don't know if they, I don't think they can even, 
even could if they wanted to, but I don't think there's any counties that do. Um, so the children he saw in the Delta did not get free school lunches because those counties had opted out of it. And now in the Delta and elsewhere, there's uh, free lunches, free um, breakfast even. So so there, there became a, a much more focus on let's try to address hunger, especially, and move see that as a concrete issue rather than just kind of abstract poverty. Finally, how surprised was Kennedy by what he saw that day? And and what real personal impact did it have on him? I, I was, it really shook him and his family. I talked to um, Mrs. Kennedy and, um, and his, uh, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend, his oldest daughter, and um, uh, one of his older sons, Robert Kennedy Jr. They were really great to talk to me. And they all remembered him coming back from Mississippi the very night and just stopping at the door and seeing his, you know, he had this well-fed, lovely group brood of 10 children. Um, and eventually there was 11 and just looking at them in there in the dining room and just being, um, stopping and saying, look, you know, I've just been to Mississippi. Children have sores on their bodies because they don't get the right food. Their stomachs are distended. They live in, whole families live in shacks the size of this dining room and, you know, do something for your country. And then um, he, they spent the rest of the evening kind of children were, you know, concerned and talking about what could be done for them. And so it really, it really stuck with them. Uh, he, uh, the next morning, he tried to. One, I talked to one of his interns who saw him come in. She was working for a secretary. The secretary was out, and she saw him come in and uh, pull out little pieces of paper and spread them on the on the desk and call and say, "Can you send a box of shoes to this um, to this address? Can you get um, uh, some cartons of soup to that that?" you know, address. So, so he was personally trying to like address the families that he saw. And, um, you know, he talked about them in his speech. It was overshadowed by the heartfelt speech he gave it, um, after Martin Luther King's assassination, um, in Indiana, but that very day he had given um, two big speeches in um, in Notre Dame and Ball State where he kind of rolled out his hunger and poverty uh, plans as president and um, it got overshadowed because of, you know, what he did later that night. But he says, I don't speak, we speak of human beings, not statistics. And he went, he, he said several times, I've seen these children, I've held them, I've touched them. And so I think it made him real. I think he had a face for that suffering that he, that he, he didn't, he couldn't forget. Ellen Meacham, the book is Delta Epiphany, Robert F. Kennedy in Mississippi. Ellen, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Well, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. Thank you.